Okay, we shall continue our sermon sessions in the Gospel of Luke, and we are in chapter 4, and the portion of our scriptures this hour is from verse 31 through verse 44, which would bring a conclusion to the chapter, but not the context, of course, in which we must honor, respect, understand, and apply. Thus far in the gospel, the immediate context of chapter 4, recognizing the temptation of Jesus by the devil, and walking through those verses, witnessed and recorded, moving about the public ministry of the Christ, and how he was found in religious locations among his people, reading and teaching the scripture, and was initially, when agreeable, given the amens of the people, yet when the application of a properly interpreted text was delivered, they immediately became hostile towards him and sought to murder him. And he, of course, through divine mind, miraculously escaped their attempts, for he is always in control of his life and when it would come to end. And at this time in his ministry, it was not time for him to be apprehended and murdered at the hands of godless men. And this, of course, brings us to verse 31 and following. And may we all be wise to hear the word and seek to understand it. And I will obviously try my best, as I do, to share the running commentary and the context and interpretation rightly handled with other verses of the scripture to bring about a practical application in our lives and understanding and a greater growth of trust in Jesus as you and I together journey the text. Verse 31 says, and I quote, And he, that is the Christ, Jesus, came down to Capernaum. This, of course, Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And Jesus, well, he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Which, of course, as we recognized, is his custom to do so. It is his righteous tradition to be found teaching and reading scripture. And they were amazed in verse 32 at his teaching. Why were they amazed at his teaching? Well, the Holy Spirit would reveal it is in connection to his message, having authority. And that is important. Could not the religious leaders of the day speak with authority? Was there not a difference? And do we come to remembrance other locations of the scriptures which would reveal the minds of the people being amazed at his authority, the manner he teaches and the things he teaches, 
and how strong he is with the doctrine. He doesn't speak like our scribes and our elders. He doesn't speak like our religious leaders. There is something quite unique and different with this man. And it is important for us to be noteworthy of teaching, doctrine, and how he did so with this authority. And in verse 33, in the synagogue, an account, of course, witness here of a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, this individual, this wretched individual, so sadly taken over, his vessel apprehended by the wiles of an entity that is impure and corrupt. And so this man, sadly, this individual, losing his free will and sobriety, self-control, now apprehended by the wiles of an impure, unpure presence, speaking with a loud voice to the source of interaction, which is Jesus. And the unclean demon says, to Jesus in verse 34, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. They were amazed at his teaching for his message was with authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. Jesus is found in the assembly of religious individuals who gather, of course, to fulfill the law, to learn and to grow each other. And in this assembly is found an unclean spirit. Don't ever think that it is an impossible task for the devil to creep into the assembly and sit among us unpure. Jesus is found in the location he would be found in as a Jew. In practical application, of course, from the synagogue, the synagogue, to now we, the spiritual Israel, the church, it is true. Christ is our source of authority, and he teaches us. We have his words. We read them. And if there is an impure source, a corrupted source among us, it must be casted out, healed. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. Are there clean demons? Is there such a thing? Unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. Another noteworthy understanding of this account. Dear friends, demons believe in Jesus. James, I believe, if I am not mistaken, also wrote of that very truth. 
in relation to faith and how faith must be active. It must produce. It must seek to uh, practice benevolence towards our brothers and sisters in Christ who are needy. For if our faith is without the actions of benevolence and, and, and obedience, then we find ourselves void and we are dead. Demons believe in Jesus. But of course, their faith is dead, for it does not produce any practice of obedience. They don't love Him, but they know precisely who He is and the authority He has, which should give you and I this day great comfort to not fear the influence of the devil, for it cannot hurt us anymore if we continue to follow the Christ. You can conquer those temptations. You can conquer those moments you may come face to face with in your life in regards to sorrow, trial, pain, loss. For those things may devour the world, but we have the security of His grace and the Word of Christ keeps us near the cross. And though we will certainly become recipients of the emotional side in which temptation comes and grief or loss, persecution, yet achieving the crown one day through Christ. Let us alone, the unclean demons speak. What business do we have with each other? Interesting to understand. Even the demons know there is no fellowship between us. So sad how many Christians seem to flirt with and become cooperative with influence of malicious and sinister practice. Let us flirt with sin. It's a dangerous, dangerous line. What business do we have with each other? The business model of the demon and the demonic realm and all the participants of what is evil is to destroy what is good. We are conceived innocent and pure. And we grow within the womb of the carrier, our mother, innocent. And we are born. And we goo-goo and gaga for a while, and we begin to crawl, and we are innocent, and we belong to God. But in our growth comes the moment of independent accountability in which now we are under the law of our Lord and Master, held to its instruction and boundaries and command, and we choose of our own free will to depart from the fellowship we have with God. And there is only one path and bridge 
to redemption, and that is indeed through the Messiah. We have decisions to make in our free will. And the purpose of the demon, the purpose of the influence of the devil, is to snatch us away from what is eternal life, what is the Christ. We are in conflict with the devil and demons, always. Now, our fight in this era, this age, is of a practical uh, application in regards to the words we can read and receive, believe, and practice. But the devil and the demon, they are not confused. They're not confused about what's taking place here. They speak it to the Christ. You and I are not in fellowship. You and I are not the same. My goal is to destroy you. And so in infiltrating this individual, removing him from his sobriety, and causing a great disturbance of evil in the assembly. Let us alone. Leave us alone. It's not yet time. You will rightly handle the gospel and these accounts and understand a very powerful truth. The demons were permitted to... Um, cause the chaos and destruction they caused for a given amount of time. The spiritual realm, the supernatural realm, was permitted to manifest itself physically in the first century for a given amount of time. And if you look at other accounts of demon possession, you will find an interesting one in which the demon even says, it is not yet our time. They understand the expiration date to their demonic influence in the physical realm in the first century. And they knew it was going to come to an end, but here's Jesus prematurely. Leave us alone. It's not yet time for us to be extinguished. Haven't you not permitted us to cause chaos for a while? And why was it permitted? Well, the scriptures would reveal the purpose. It was to confirm the Christ was going to cast out these demons, which would become the unique source in which a demon could be casted out. Giving, of course, a sign to the greater source behind it. Power. Who? Jesus. Let us alone. You are here prematurely. We were given a permitted time to cause chaos. Why are you here? What business do we have with each other? We destroy and you build. We separate and split, and you unite and galvanize together strongly. We lie, and we murder, and we slander, and we speak all manners of evil. You speak good. You forgive. You do what is right and righteous. You and I, we're not in the same business. Why are you here? The demon further says in also an uh, 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 interesting dialect, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, which would be the commonly known name for Christ in the socio-political realm. Have you come to destroy us? 
Again, if you rightly handle with other accounts, are you come here to destroy us before the time that you allowed us to be here? That's not fair. I know who you are, the unclean spirit says. You know, think of this. It's very sad. A demon had more belief in recognizing who Jesus is than a great many most Christians today or those who claim to believe in Christ. It is sad when the belief of a demon surpasses the belief of a so-called Christian. May we never be contaminated with falsehoods of that world out there to be lowered even below a demon. I know who you are. The Holy One, unique, holy, unique, set apart, different, one, one of a kind, of God the Father. The great I am, the ancient of days. But Jesus, upon, of course, hearing the demon, rebukes him. It's a charge. You've been charged in the name of the law. Saying to him, be quiet and come out of him. Jesus teaches and he teaches with authority. His doctrine is law. There is boundary in law. We must be lawful citizens of his kingdom. Herein is a presence, a spirit unclean, which is lawless in the assembly, which should be lawful. And it must be dealt with swiftly, immediately. Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down, this individual, down in the midst of the people, in the church, if you will, quote-unquote church, the synagogue, the location of religious gathering, he came out of him without doing him any harm. Again, to God's mercy. And friends, in verse 36, there was amazement. Not only was there amazement to hear Jesus teach and the authority in his teaching, but there's amazement now seeing the power which confirms his deity. In the first century, God had permitted, as I now again bring to our remembrance, he had permitted supernatural activity to manifest itself in the physical world. Now that age came to an end. Despite all the false teachers out there who are going to try to eloquently deceive you and persuade you otherwise. We are certainly not void of the influence that has come about by the devil and his demons. For a lie can travel the world quicker than the truth, does it not? And if the devil in the first century could speak a lie and then was shackled in a deep, dark dungeon, his lie remained and influences people today time and time again. The people were amazed because Christ had the source power to cast out the demon. And in the first century, religious leaders claimed they could, as they so claim they can today. It's a farce. It's a lie. It's a manipulation of your weaknesses. It's a manipulation of your emotions. But in the first century, these were genuine and authentic and real and must have been quite frightful to see and witness. 
Today we need the magic of the silver screen to bring about an image of fear in these here realms. But in the first century, it was true and genuine and happening. And the people were amazed that a man could do these things. They had not been witness to this power. Oh yeah, the, the religious leaders claimed they could, but none of them could. And you know in the corruption of their heart, when they witnessed the Christ having that power, they became jealous, didn't they? Well, that's not fair. He can and we can't. And amazement came upon them all. The confirmation of the Christ and the power he held, of course, was sign of his deity. And they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. We've not witnessed this before. This has not been um, something that happens in the community. They claim they could. They couldn't. But who could? The Christ. What is this message? What are we meant to receive and understand with this? With authority and power. Jesus speaks with authority. He speaks with power. The demon, the unclean spirit, came out. And the report in verse 37 about Jesus was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. And you can imagine how that would be the case. Word of mouth. There is a source of remedy to the ailment we've been seeing in our communities. Demon possession. The affliction and brutality of seeing your son or your daughter or your spouse captivated out of their sobriety and self-control by an evil force which brings them into brutal convulsion and violent acts of supernatural kind. And there's just no way around this. It's now part of our life. And these here religious leaders claim they can, but they can't. They even stay away from it and claim it from a distance now. But now a man, Jesus of Nazareth, a carpenter's son, carpenter by trade and lineage, not educated within our prestige schools of Judaism, is now casting out demons and he speaks with such authority. This book holds that authority and power. And it is the sole source of religious right. It is the word of God. And it can certainly cast out any of our delinquencies, behavioral uh, uh, compromises, sinful thoughts, practices, it is so powerful, reading it and applying it in our lives can heal us from the damage. The individual whom 
had the demon casted out of him, would have needed perhaps to be cleansed, to be cleaned, to be nourished, to be brought in for food, shelter, and clothing, to be ministered to, and the Word of God does that. Not only will the Word of God cast out evil from your life, free you from the shackles of sin, it'll teach you, it has the authority to heal you, to heal us, and renew our minds in a different way. And so the report, of course, spread all over the local districts surrounding that area. This here are witnessed accounts of true and genuine experiences in the first century. Again, we must be sober of thought, understanding that the age of these demon possessions have expired, purposely so, by the power of God, for they were permitted only for a time, and they were designed to accomplish the confirmation of the Word. And the Word, my dear friends, you and I have now in our hands, the perfect law of liberty. We move forward in the portion of Scripture, verses 38 through 44, where Jesus continues to produce miraculous occurrence in the objective to have the people listen to the words He speaks. It's it, Friends, salvation is not in the miracle itself. The miracle is but a sign pointing to the one that saves. And you would have seen in the crowds a great many people simply entertained by it all who were following him only for the next drama. I wonder what he's going to do today. Some would have fallen prey to the miraculous power and found faith in the miraculous power which does not save. Jesus would have told the people once, you follow me for physical nourishment, but you should be following me for spiritual nourishment. Because the goal of this life is not to make it into hell with a full belly, but perhaps heaven on an empty one. Meaning, this physical life comes and goes, but what remains is what was created in His image, the soul. And so that is what must be nourished, the Word of God. How could, ha how could we know it was the Word of God? Because it was confirmed by miracles and signs and powers. If you see a man cast out a demon in the first century, something that was not possible by any other among us, then you're going to pay attention what this man is saying. You should, at the very least, try to pay attention to what the man is saying. Verse 38 says, Then he, Jesus, got up and left the synagogue and entered into Simon's home. Now let's pay attention to all of this in its uh, wide scope. Here they are. They're in church. And Jesus, well, he's reading the scriptures and he's teaching. And he is quite different than the rest of us. There's something quite unique and powerful about him. He has all this authority. And among us, there's an unclean spirit, a demon-possessed individual. And Christ deals with that within the assembly, immediately casting out this evil presence. And now the assembly comes to its conclusion and he goes into a home, a location of hospitality uh, to one of the members of the church. And as he enters into this member, which is Simon, by the way, Peter, right? Peter the apostle. 
So here's Jesus. He gets up out of the, and he leaves the synagogue and he enters into Peter's house. And in Peter's house, well, is his mother-in-law. So Peter, the apostle, has a mother-in-law. And I think you and I, logically concluding the fact that if you have a mother-in-law, you're married. You have a wife. And his mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, was suffering from a high fever. That is a dangerous medical condition that could have damaged her permanently, if not remove her from this earth. And they asked Jesus to help her. Well, if you come to my house and one of my loved ones has a dangerous fever, a dangerous sickness that might take their life, and you can cast out demons, and you can control the weather, and you can make whole the lame and cure the sick and know the inner hearts of men in a measurement none of us can even come close to. Well, I'm going to ask you, have mercy. Please heal my wife. Please heal my child. Please heal my mother. Please heal my mother-in-law. I, I, it seems almost organic to the thought of an individual member that if the source of power is in your house, you're going to beg mercy. Please help. And standing over her in verse 39, Jesus, of course, hears this word again, rebuked the fever. It's a charge. It's the law. In the name of the law. And the fever left her. And she, verse 39, immediately got up and waited on them. She is thoughtful and has gratitude. She has become the recipient of God's mercy. She gets to live another day. And what does she choose to do with this newfound blessing and chapter in her life where she has been able to be saved from the clutches of this sickness and fever? Well, she ministers. She finds utility as a woman. Faithful member. And I see the word immediately, and we should pay attention to that, as was the casting out of the demon. It was an immediate repair. No man can do that today, though they claim they can. Do not fall prey to their vices. They are frauds. Do not fall prey to their ways. There is and will always only be one true power that can immediately cure, and that is the Christ. And in the first century, the age, of course, of miraculous occurrence permitted, these things were witnessed. And they are recorded for you and I to read and learn. And so standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she immediately got up and waited on them. How do we deal in today's practical application? How do we deal with foreign threat or unclean things or things that are not right well, we do so with the Word of God, and we are currently holding the words of God. Now, reading Scripture to you today will not heal you from a sickness or a disease, but we are commanded to pray so that through the natural realm, His providence, through medicine and doctors, through the natural body, through care and ministry, perhaps we can persevere through the sickness and remain on this earth. And what will we do? 
if we are given and granted permission to remain on this earth and not be succumbed to death at the hands of sickness. Well, what are we going to do? Well, we should minister. We should learn from this wonderful woman who ministered, who loved, who was grateful and thankful to God for what he had done to her. And so it should be for us this hour. Now, while the sun in verse 40 was setting, giving us, of course, time of day and the activities of that hour and culture, all who had any, all, not some, all who had any, who were sick with various diseases, what did they do? They brought them to him. And laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. When we are sin sick, where should we be brought? To the Christ. To his assembly. To his faithful, healthy, and growing church. For the people of the East Coast of Canada, the East Coast Church of Christ is the location in which the pillars of truth are honored and proclaimed. It is the source location where the Christ is head and rule and king, where salvation and freedom, liberty can be found. Various diseases were brought to him and he was laying his hands on each one of them and he was healing them. Do you seek to have his hands laid upon your head to have the healing that he provides? You're reading his words. It is through this very holy writ that we can find healing, that we can find salvation. Demons in verse 41 also were coming out of many. Shouting, you are the Son of God. But rebuking them, there's that word again, rebuking them. It's a charge. It's the law speaking. He would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. Why not? Well, because Jesus, the Christ, God, does not permit a corrupted source to speak his name, to evangelize. Now, if you understand that and connect a few dots, there's an ocean of religious error out there who claim Christianity and claim to speak the gospel. They evangelize. Yet the gospel they speak is erroneous to the text we read. And they have not the authority to speak the Christ when they pervert the gospel. You are the Son of God. It is not for the demons or the devil to evangelize. They are corrupt, but yet they publicly know who he is, and publicly recognize him for his authority. Demons were also coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God, but rebuking them. He would not allow them to speak, because they knew him to be the Christ. Now, when day came, in verse 42, so the night has passed, the evening, when day had come, 
Jesus, in verse 42, left and went to a secluded place. And the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. They came, they kept, they were seeking. They were seeking him, they came to him, and they wanted to keep him. Well, yeah, this man can raise the dead. This man can cast out demons. I want to be close to him. Now, the motive of the heart is an important part because some were doing so for malicious reasons, selfish ambitions, but some were doing so in a humble, reverent stature because they could truly recognize something very unique and powerful with this man. And of course, he says to them in verse 43, I must, it is an obligation that I cannot remove myself from. I must proclaim, I must preach, what now? The kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. His purpose was to proclaim the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the church belonging to Christ, which was soon to be established and its doors open for legal citizenry witnessed and recorded in Acts chapter 1 and 2. On the day of Pentecost, when the fulfillment of the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Christ had been masterfully accomplished, and so, in verse 44, Jesus kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. He remains within the location of religious assembly, teaching, preaching with authority the truth, which is what we must pay attention to. Jesus, our Lord and Master, has the power to heal us from our diseases, has the power to cast out the demons. And in our age, what that means in rightfully handled interpretation is he can save us from our sins and he can teach us to make the right decisions in life, which will be beneficial, of course, to our existence as human beings and neighbors. So not only does he give us in priority the hope of heaven, eternal life, but he also gives us instruction to how we can better live in this physical realm. May we find a best friend faithful to Christ and may we marry and may we be blessed with children and may we grow ancestry and may we continue to have land and purchase more land and may we grow for him. Good stewards of this physical existence, loving one another as neighbors and friends and family. Why? For his cause? To help more people make it to heaven? For the priority, which is the next life that is to come? If we are suffering with intrusive thoughts, evil temptations, if we are suffering from deep grief and sorrow, uncertainty, unanswered things, 
if we are suffering from the damage that sin has brought to our life, if we have many scars and traumas, if we are struggling, if we are held captive by lawlessness, the power of the Christ can set us free if we bring. You see, there's an action involved. The people were bringing to him. There's an action involved. The Christ is ready to forgive, to heal. He has the authority. Are we willing to come to him? These people were seeking him. Not only were they seeking him, they were coming to him and wanted to keep him there. Are we so passionate to keep Jesus in his assembly? Or we will we allow an unclean, evil, corrupt presence destroy, as has sadly taken place in a many assemblies across the world? No, we will receive him. He must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. We can understand that purpose. It was written, and we can read. The power of God to forgive us of our sins is most important. And as we, of course, make our way in conclusion with an invitation, the kingdom of God is here and now and real and was established in the first century. Again, recorded in Acts chapter 1 and 2. The apostles became the recipient of the outpouring power of the Holy Spirit. They spoke with that authority. They were guided into all truth and they stood up among the people. On the day of Pentecost, they were spiritual men miraculously guided by the governance and policy of God, the great I Am. And they spoke to the people the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Messiah. And all those who warmly received the words, not the miraculous occurrences in which they witnessed, but the words being confirmed, the source in which was speaking, the words, when they believed those words as repentant individuals confessing Jesus to be indeed the Son of God that they had murdered, they became qualified. Qualified to call on His name as they were fully immersed into His grave. A watery grave. Baptism. And when they came up out of that watery grave, the tomb of the Christ, with the Christ they were risen by the power of His resurrection, born again to a newness of life, Romans 6, 3 and 4, clothed with the Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, saved, added, legal citizen of His kingdom. And that is available today. And it will be available till the day all of this world ends. Okay, so that will bring to a conclusion the chapter and this portion of text. Lord willing, next Sunday we will get into chapter 5. Let us move forward with a song. <laughs>